You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tresini, we would love to welcome you to our show this morning on such a beautiful spring morning. Good morning, boys. How are you doing? We're well, thank you. Yeah, we're doing fun. That's a great day, isn't it? Sun's shining. I'm not in my winter coat. In fact, I've actually made the commitment to take my winter coat into the dry cleaners today. So it's done. Oh. We're over winter. We're good. Good for you. Yep. That's yep. brave. But I'm, I'm sure. It's I'm not ho- brave. I'm, I'm hoping that, that we have seen the last of winter this year. You know, I think that because we have the four seasons, it makes the summer and spring really that much more special for us. But no, I'm over it. It's um, I didn't actually think it was uh, too bad of a winter, but well, well, uh, well into spring right now. So all is good. Today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And please do feel free to email us questions, concerns, suggestions for shows, topics that you might like us to research for you at thh at radiomaria.ca. And please do subscribe to our podcast. All of our shows live taped are flipped over into a podcast format, and we are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find them on the Radio Maria website, and we are www.radiomaria.ca. And you can find them on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And last week's show, Running Businesses and Running Marathons with Deepak Shukla, is up and ready for you to listen to. We got a lot of good response to that one. A little bit different show than um, we've had before, and he was lovely. I think uh, part of the charm was that lovely British accent that he had. But uh, I, really, I was waiting for, to see how long it would take you to, to mention I, that. Oh, but, I love uh, it. You know, on my car you know, the map thing when they tell you the directions. I've got a British man on there. (laughs) I just, (laughs) and that was well before I bumped into Deepak, well before that. But yeah, my my instructions are all all given to me in in a lovely British accent. So yeah, he's a a great guy to have in my car with me. Just gives me, there's something about that accent that I really do like. Makes the drive easier, I'm sure. It does. Sorry, (laughs) say that again. I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I do like the British I had, uh, this is a well off topic. My other one was Ruthie, and she was just boring American no, Canadian. Speaking about English. British, I had my cousin in this weekend. Oh, did you? Yeah, nice. He's from the UK. Is Does he have an accent? Yes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, born in the UK? Yes. Uh, yeah. Is that where you're from? Yes, I was born there. Oh, you were? Well, where's your accent, for Pete's sake? Uh, I suppose I lost it. But, oh, um, go find it. <laughs> okay. Daniel, the show's yours. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, got, we are I've so been, off topic. I've been given my orders now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready for this. Okay, no, it's it's all good. It's all good. We'll bring we're gonna bring us all back to what to our show today. Wonderful. And I'm so excited we have Dr. Carrie Jones on the show. She is just phenomenal. A wonderful speaker. She's back on again. Uh, last time we hammered out adrenal fatigue, and this time we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about estrogen dominance. Um, but before that, there is a great, great, great documentary coming out about uh, genetically modified foods. And just to to give you a very brief, brief introduction to genetically modified foods, these are foods that have had uh, changes introduced into their DNA using methods of genetic engineering techniques. That's about all I'm going to say about it because that's about all we have time for. But um, genetically modified foods are um, part of our food chain now. And, um, you know, they're fairly new on the science front and science and research is still investigating whether or not they do uh, harm us. Uh, And again, that's a huge topic, but we'll leave that at that. But I wanted to um, give you the heads up. I have seen this documentary. It is very well worth your watch, as are so many of the CBC documentaries that we've had. This is an award-winning documentary by filmmaker Obejiro, and it's being aired nationally on the CBC this Friday, and it's called Modified. Um, Modified tells the story of Obey and her mother, who shared a love of food, and that led them to embark upon a deeply personal investigation into the world of genetically modified foods, questioning why Canada does not label GMOs on food products. Ten years into the making, Modified interweaves the personal and the political, featuring public figures like Dr. Jane Goodall and Senator Bernie Saunders. The film has received 13 festival awards and has been an official selection at over 60 international film festivals. In speaking about this film, Obey is quoted as saying, My mother instilled in me a deep love of food and a desire to know how it is produced. When GMOs came onto the market, I wanted to find out why they aren't labeled here when the polls show 88% of Canadians are in favor and 64 countries around the world require GMOs on food products, GMO labeling on food products. I feel that the battle for GMO labeling illustrates a broader crisis we face at this moment in history, whereby corporations exert tremendous influence and control over our regulatory agencies and elected representatives. Giraud was inspired to make the film when her mom, an avid gardener, seed saver, and food activist, raised concerns in 2001 uh, about a 2001 report by the Royal Society of Canada, which sharply criticized Health Canada's approach to regulating GMOs. The report made 53 recommendations to the Canadian government, and to, th- to this day, only two of those recommendations have been implemented. The film documents the filmmakers' ongoing attempts to interview Health Canada and their refusal to go on camera to answer questions about how GMOs are regulated in Canada. In 2017, a federal GMO labeling bill, which would have mandated the labeling of foods containing GMOs, was defeated despite widespread support from Canadians. Canada is now the first and only country in the world to be selling a genetically modified animal, which is uh, Atlantic salmon, for human consumption. Like all other GMOs on the market in Canada, it does not carry a label to let customers know that it, how it was produced. 
Two years into the film's production, Obey's mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and after her mother's death, Obey struggled to finish the film, which ultimately became a tribute to her mother, who was an inspiration to her. As I said, I've seen this uh, film. It is very worthwhile to watch if GMOs and food labeling and food practices are a concern of yours, and if they're not, perhaps they should be. Um, the film again airs on the CBC this Friday, March 29th at 9 p.m., and it will be available uh, to stream on CBC Gem. So please, uh, if you have the time, do take a watch. It's very, very, very good. And uh, if you can't watch it at that time, CBC always uh, reruns their documentaries. You can watch them, as I said, uh, online on CBC Gem. So that's that's uh, it's something that I am very careful about when uh, I'm searching for foods and I think is important for all of us to understand where our food is coming from. But on to today's show, we have Dr. Carrie Jones. She is returning again to us, and I'm very excited about this and very glad that she takes the time. She is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine, School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with a goal of doing more international education. She was adjunct faculty for many years at the National University of Natural Medicine, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology, fertility, and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is the medical director for Precision Analytical Inc., creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. Today's learning points will include what are normal functions of estrogen, what are symptoms of estrogen dominance, and how we can remedy estrogen dominance. And we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Dr. Carrie Jones. I see your face I will 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's show is live. If you'd like to call in to doc- talk to Dr. Carey and myself or have any questions, our number is 416-245-1534. Do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And you still have a little bit of time left to get some more questions in here. But without further ado, Dr. Carey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. This is going to be a good one. Oh, it is going to be a good one. This is a topic that pops up so much uh, in in my clinical practice, and no one better to talk about it than you. Estrogen dominance is uh, a force to be reckoned with in today's society, and we're going to find out why. But what I would like you to do, if possible, um, estrogen is very vilified, as we talked about earlier, and uh, we are heading down that road ourselves, actually. But uh, before we start slapping it around, maybe you can go over why estrogen is actually very important into our, in our systems. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you used that word vilified, because I feel the same way. I know that estrogen can cause a lot of, you know, scary symptoms or bad symptoms that, you know, men and women don't want, but estrogen is actually really important for female health. It's, I mean, it helps prevent um, and protect us against dementia and Alzheimer's. It helps our bones grow to be healthy and strong and reduce our risk of osteoporosis and osteopenia. It helps our skin and collagen um, production. So we have healthy skin and, you know, smooth skin and it's, you know, it's anti-aging and I don't think a lot of women realize that we need estrogen to come out in the first part of our cycle so that our progesterone receptors can come out in the second part of our cycle, which aids in making the inside of the uterus nice and fluffy for implantation. 
So if you don't get that estrogen surge in the first half, you may struggle with implantation in the second half. And for all of those women who are listening that maybe struggle with fertility um, and think estrogen is a bad thing, it's actually trying to help you. It's trying to help you get pregnant. So estrogen does a lot of things for the female body. Mm -hmm. It's very important. And um, I think going on that route to, to let everybody know its importance will help you know, sort of frame what uh, we're going to talk about today, which is estrogen dominance and how that balance uh, or lack of balance within uh, that hormonal system can lead to issues. But always bearing in mind that uh, the body has these hormones for very good reasons, and uh, it's it's a matter of keeping our checks and balances in place. So let's let's really dive into it now, and maybe the the framework for the show should be maybe for you explain to us what actually estrogen dominance is. <laughs> um, estrogen, it's like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? Like too little is a problem, too much is a problem. We want it to be just right depending on where you are in your cycle. So estrogen dominance is usually referred to the second half of the cycle. So as you get closer and closer to your period, what can happen is that your estrogen gets out of balance with your progesterone. So if your estrogen is too high or your estrogen is too high relative to your progesterone, then you get all of the sort of extreme symptoms of estrogen. So these are PMS, the mood swings, the heavy periods, the clots, the fibroid formation, the polyp formation. It worsens your endometriosis, um, tender breasts, your breasts get enlarged. And of course, estrogen dominance could potentially also increase your risk down the road for estrogen-dominant breast cancers or just estrogen cancers in general. Mm -hmm. So too much just like too little, can definitely be an unpleasant thing. When, when you talk about PMS, and this is, this is something that I've bumped into many times, because many women suffer from PMS, that doesn't make it normal, right? Like, right. There's yeah. a difference between being normal and being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Because, the, because it's so pervasive doesn't necessarily mean that's the way right. it should be. Right. Common. Common doesn't mean Thank normal. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. There's <laughs> yes. a good simple word I could have yes. grabbed onto. Just because it's common doesn't make it normal. And of course, PMS is very common, right? How many times have you said to your girlfriends or you've, you've got patients that come in where you say you get PMS and they shrug it off? Well, yeah, but everybody does. It's like, well, yes, it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's, you know, it means there's something off in your hormones. Your estrogen's probably too high. Your progesterone's probably too low. And this is why you're having problems. And then at what point do we become concerned? Um, well, if it gets in the way of your, I call, your activities of daily living is what we say. So sometimes women are like, yeah, I get a little moody or I get a little tired. Uh, and, you know, not a big deal. Or when I ask, is it a big deal? Does it get in the way of your life? No. But when, you, when a woman comes in and she says, this is a problem, it's get affecting my marriage, it's affecting my job, um, I have to stay home, uh, my, you know, I get really severe cramps, they're pretty bad, my breasts go up to bra sizes, this is a problem, um, my depression, my anxiety gets you know, really amplified, it, it's, it's really hard to work with, then obviously, and then even women might say, but thank God, my period comes and it goes away. I'm like, well, yeah, but for those two to seven days, some, some women experience it for, you know, two weeks. Um, it's, it's terrible. And that's not normal that that we need to address. Okay, I want to go back to that in a minute. But we've talked about estrogen as a female uh, hormone. But 
does estrogen dominance, can this trickle over to men as well? Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. And most, um, you know, your men and women listeners will recognize this because these are men who start to develop breast tissue, right? And they start to get the belly in the front. Um, It makes, estrogen can make a man more moody, more depressed, more weepy, less motivated. It can get in the way of his sex drive. It can cause erectile dysfunction. So it sort of seems like the symptoms of low testosterone, but what happens in men is men have a lot of this enzyme called aromatase, and aromatase converts testosterone to estrogen. Now, women have it too. Men, men just seem to have more of it. <laughs> it's more, more pronounced, and especially as men get older and as their blood sugar is not good and they're not choosing healthy options and they're not exercising like they used to and their stress is higher and their inflammation is higher, all those things push that enzyme. And then men start to say, ooh, my... My pec muscles, you know, are starting to get flabby. My belly's starting to get bigger. Um, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not that motivated. I'm kind of, you know, low mood. And, and that's a, res- a result of estrogen in men. It's funny, we have a commercial that's on very frequently uh, in surgery for yeah. gynecomastia. And yeah. um, it's just not that easy, is it? You know, just to, yeah. <laughs> as, as you talk about it, um, the, the picture beginning to evolve is a systemic controlling of estrogen, not just a pill and not just uh, a couple of times or one time a month. But the, the, whole, the whole idea of, of managing estrogen dominance, where does that start for you? Testing. It starts with me with testing. Now, obviously, the symptoms are pretty classic, but I definitely want to know what I'm working with. I want to know, is it just an elevated estrogen? I want to know if the estrogen is able to detox out of the body appropriately. And I want to know if she's making enough progesterone to counteract that estrogen. And just like in men, I want to know what his testosterone is how much is, you know, what his estrogen is, and then again, is his estrogen converting. We don't necessarily in men look at estrogen progesterone. Um, we look more at testosterone estrogen. Okay. Now, in the recent, you know, the recent past, I don't know within how many years you have a better picture than I do, estrogen dominance has definitely become more pervasive in our system mm-hmm. or in our, in yeah. our society. And yeah. it, it has to have something to do with other than our internal unbalance. Yeah. What, what do you think is really pushing this to critical levels? Honestly, I think it's a combination of, of external factors causing our own estrogen to increase. So for example, like I said, with men, like high blood sugar, high insulin, inflammation, high stress, that will all push his testosterone to make more estrogen. But other big influencing factors are the environment, environmental factors, environmental toxins. I mean, there is good research on um, bisphenol A, which everyone knows as BPA, um, but even its, its sisters, which are called BPF or BPS, they have been shown to increase that same enzyme aromatase that both men and women have. So if you are getting a lot of BPA exposure, either in plastics, in, um, you know, in your canned goods, in your receipts, um, just, just various things, it will cause your body to increase estrogen. These same chemicals will also bind to your estrogen receptor. So it may not increase the estrogen in your body, but it will 
stimulate the estrogen to turn on. And you're, you may not want your estrogen receptor on. You, you don't want, you know, endometriosis. You don't want heavy periods. You don't want big tender breasts. You don't want to mood swings. But because all of these chemicals have the ability to touch on the estrogen receptor, they turn them on like a key. The key fits. And so now you have all these extra estrogen symptoms because of all the environmental stuff that we've got going on now. So trying to balance our estrogen is a lot more than changing our diet. It's a, a lot more than taking supplements. It's, it's something that we have to hit from many different avenues. Is that what you're saying? It is. I definitely think so. Of course, changing your diet and supplements, great for start, very helpful, absolutely. Switching to, you know, organic if you can. You guys were talking in the beginning about, of course, GMO'd food, absolutely doing non-GMO'd food, um, you know, drinking filtered water, uh, drinking out of glass or stainless steel, not using plastic to the best of your ability, um, not touching receipts when you go to the store, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> telling them you don't need a receipt, just put the receipt in the bag, please. Um, those little things definitely add up over time. Um, but if you are having severe symptoms, um, then it's definitely multifactorial and you have to hit it hard. Is it too complicated a picture for you to paint just before we go to break? We have about five minutes. The pathway of hormonal production, I know this is a huge thing, but <laughs> as, as a, some, somewhat of a straight line between hormone production, where cortisol and stress comes into the picture to unbalance estrogen, and then the cascade of effects. Yeah, so in so for women in the ovaries we have a few different cells. So one of our cells makes testosterone and then that does the thing called aromatize. So it aromatizes in another cell into into estrogen into estradiol. And so the one cell that makes testosterone can be um increased or pushed on by something like insulin, um even sometimes something like cortisol. Um and therefore when you have increased testosterone you can have increased conversion into estradiol. And so then now that the body has estradiol, it has to get rid of it somehow, it has to neutralize it. And so what it does is it runs it through what we call detoxification. And you have phase one, you have phase two, and then you eventually have phase three detoxification. And if any of those phases are slow, or if there's something going on that, you know, maybe affects them, turns them down a different pathway, now you have more estrogen problems just at a deeper, at a deeper layer. Okay. And just, uh, we have a couple of minutes before break. Can you please, and this is something that I get asked a lot of times, when estrogen is metabolized, it breaks it down into um, metabolites. Yes. And there are basically, if I'm correct, three types of estrogen metabolites. Yeah, there, there are three main ones. So in phase one detoxification um, or phase one metabolism, you have what's called a two-pathway a four pathway, and then a 16 pathway. And so the four pathway is what we call the naughty pathway. So if the four pathway doesn't further go on to get neutralized, it can cause problems with your DNA, and that's what can lead to cancer. Your 16 pathway we call the proliferative pathway, so it makes things grow. Great for bones, bad for boobs. (laughs) Right? We want good, healthy, strong bones, but we don't necessarily want our breasts bigger, and we don't want breast cancer to grow. And then the two pathway is what's considered less carcinogenic. So it still has a cancer risk, just less so than the four pathway. So that's phase one. And then you have to neutralize those. And to neutralize those, they go through something called methylation. 
and that's phase two detoxification. Once they're neutralized, they go to phase three detoxification, which is where your body gets rid of it, like in your intestines, out through your stool, and or you urinate it out. Okay, so the picture that I know. is, I know <laughs> it, it's, it is a lot, and you know what? And we're going to get into it more in detail, so you can explain to everybody more clearly um, about the detoxification pathways. But we have then two issues where we we could be running the risk of estrogen dominance. Two big ones, I guess. Um, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We can either have overproduction of estrogen, or we can yeah. have an ineffective elimination. Of estrogen. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. You got it. And so we have to hit though. So that's where the testing comes in. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Because then you'll know um, at which layer, what level you might be playing with. And you may have all layers. Every, mm-hmm. all your, you may have issues with elimination and you have issues with production and you need to address both. Perfect. I think it's so important that people do understand that because, you know, I think in a very simple term, estrogen dominance is just we have too much estrogen. But uh, as you say, to really get to the root and and these are things that are fixable, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which is what's so great. You can definitely modify it. And women love to hear that. And it's important. It's important to know because, you know, the scare of of the things that can happen from estrogen dominance is out there. And mm-hmm. so it's so important that you understand that these are remedied um, with proper testing, food, and all the other things that we just talked about. When we get back from break, I really would like to go into more of this detoxification pathway, talk about the astrobolome and how the gut can affect estrogen metabolism. So we will be back in a few minutes. You were born with a grace. Uh, that grace is your gift. It's a divine enablement. If you work your grace, the grace will work for you. Company, teach the lesson. The systems of the world systems. We try to take your confidence Yes, they will Both these systems were designed Designed To make you doubt what heaven Don't you doubt The systems of the world These systems we try to take your confidence Yes, they will Both these systems were designed Designed To make you sit down on your feet Don't you let But the gift God gave to you This gift Give it back to him Offer it up When he sees it operating Yes It's a compliment Give him Better you than you. And then you 
voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about estrogen dominance with Dr. Carrie Jones. Dr. Carrie, we have a lot of questions here. So I'm, I'm, if you don't mind, I'd like to throw some of them out now. Um, but I want to leave enough time for um, other topics that I'd like to get to. Would you mind answering a few questions? Of course. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, so on the topic of PMS, someone has asked if there are supplements that you can recommend that can help control PMS symptoms. Yes. So again, with PMS, it depends, like you had said right before the break, is it um, that you're making too much estrogen, that you can't clear your estrogen, and then to go with that further, are you not making enough progesterone? So just so definitely, you know, talk with your practitioner about this, but some just general PMS support that is often recommended are things like vitamin B6, vitamin B12, vitamin E, um, increasing your fish oil, your, your EPA and DHA, um, you know, making, getting, making sure you're getting enough um, grams of that. Other oils, evening primrose oil, borage oil. These oils are really good for, for cellular health. Um, there's some herbs, uh, one of which is called chase tree berry. It's also known as Vitex. Uh, that's a helpful one for things like progesterone. So there's definitely a lot of supplemental options. And, of course, I listed off a bunch. It doesn't mean you need all of them, but there are definitely options for women with PMS. Well, maybe we should point people into the direction of the testing that maybe they should be asking for then. 
Yeah, so definitely if you see your, your, you know, if you go see your doctor, definitely at least ask for estradiol and ask for progesterone and you want to make sure that you do it um, in what's called the luteal phase of your cycle. So it's about five to seven days after ovulation. So if a woman has a 28-day cycle, you're looking at about day 19, 20, or 21. So timing of your testing is really important. Progesterone does not come out into that second part of your cycle. Now, for your practitioner that's more advanced, more integrative, more functional, um, asking for the, the testing that does also looks at the detoxification pathways. It's often done in urine, urine testing, um, not blood testing. Um, can be really helpful then in determining can you get rid of your estrogen, not just how much are you making. Okay, perfect. Um, another question is, can my low thyroid <clears throat> excuse me, affect my estrogen levels because I suffer from PMS? Yes, definitely. The thyroid, the adrenals, and the ovaries are like very best friends. And so if the thyroid is struggling, it can absolutely impact and slow down affect things like ovulation. And if you don't ovulate, if you don't kick that egg out, you won't make progesterone. So your low thyroid function may prevent you from making progesterone. And now you have estrogen dominance. So if you address the thyroid, then it can help you ovulate and then you'll make progesterone. Or you can do both at the same time. You can work with your practitioner to help address your thyroid and you can do things to help yourself um, ovulate and make progesterone. So the key here is the balance between estrogen yeah. and progesterone. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. And oh. then everything else, right? The thyroid plays in, cortisol plays in. It's a big, it's very systemic. Very <laughs> it's definitely systemic. not like in individual silos. We can't think of it like that. But it's important for people to understand that because, yeah. you know, we're trying to point people in this integrative system type of effect that the body it really does play. We're not in different compartments. And it's important if, if nothing else comes from this, that people see that many things need to be addressed other than just, you know, taking a pill. <clears throat> so I think it's very important. Um, another question is, is PCOS caused by estrogen dominance? Um, sort of. Um, so PCOS, there's a classical and well, there's a very a number of variations of PCOS. So that's polycystic ovary syndrome. And so PCOS classically is actually uh, caused by an insulin issue. So you have an issue with the production of insulin and insulin receptors, and that then affects your testosterone, which affects your progesterone, which affects um, things you know, like fertility. Uh, but you can also have a PCOS picture because of your adrenal glands. Your adrenal glands actually, um, when they make too much cortisol, can affect your ovulation, that will affect your progesterone, therefore affect your estrogen. Too much cortisol um, can affect, you know, things like um, your cycles being regular or not, right? Too much adrenal function can affect your testosterone and DHEA. That can affect things like your skin, um, give you acne, give you hair growth in places you don't want it. So it's the, same, it's the same symptoms. It's the same category of PCOS, but it's adrenally based. And so with PCOS, you want to make sure you know which form of PCOS you're dealing with. Is it more adrenal based? Is it insulin based? And there's some other causes too, like women coming off the birth control uh, or off of birth control um, can get a PCOS symptom or uh, picture. And so uh, PCOS itself is not necessarily um, an, an estrogen it interferes with estrogen per se, um, but it can, depending on which PCOS it is, then it can. 
Okay. And just for that listener, then, is there, again, a test that can be done for this or is it a matter of yes okay. oh yeah definitely especially if they're if they're if they have sort of more the classical pcos definitely getting a fasting glucose get a fasting insulin in your in your blood work you know get your testosterone checked women it's important that we get our testosterone checked get your estradiol checked get your progesterone checked again you want that done in the second half of your cycle like you know after ovulation um, do the urine test, you know, look, do a cortisol test, um, do the, do a four or five point cortisol test throughout the day. You can definitely, definitely look at all these different angles and see what's going on. So estrogen is free flying and it's the, you know, what it's, it's looking at is proje- or what's coming out with the PCOS is it's the progesterone that, uh, again, this balance between the estrogen and the progesterone being knocked off by testosterone. It can. And the other thing with PCOS is some women with PCOS don't cycle, right? They don't have a cycle at all. They're they're what's called amenorrheic. And when you don't cycle, they don't have estrogen or progesterone. So they're not necessarily estrogen dominant. They're just, they just, they don't do anything. Their ovaries don't do anything. They're kind of stuck. So in that case, that woman may have very low estrogen. Other Mm -hmm. women with PCOS do cycle. They cycle irregularly. Maybe they'll go 60 days or 90 days or 45 days. And so they do get estrogen production, but they don't ovulate. So those women tend to be very estrogen dominant compared to the woman who doesn't cycle at all. So again, it kind of depends if somebody's listening to this and they say, well, I have PCOS, but I haven't had a, I haven't had a period in six months. My guess is your estrogen and progesterone are probably both very low. But if somebody else says, well, I have PCOS and I, my cycles are irregular, but when they come, I have very bad PMS. I have all these symptoms, heavy periods. Like, yeah, I bet, I bet when, you, when you do, you don't make enough progesterone, your estrogen is out of balance, and you're the estrogen-dominant person. So it also depends on what your periods are doing, how regular you are or not. Okay, it's becoming very a, complex. Yeah, it's a very. I was going to say it's a very becoming <laughs> a very a complicated. Yeah, so you really yeah, need to so seek out someone who not understands this. Fits all. Yeah, when when when, pe- when women say to me, "What supplement can I take?" I'm like, "Well, it depends. I have a yeah. million questions for you." Yeah, and which is good. You want to be probative, and you really want to get to right. the. We don't want to be throwing away money on supplements. Now, this is a question, and um, actually kind of ironic because it uh, actually pertains to, to me myself. But uh, okay. someone has asked that they've had breast cancer and are on an estrogen blocker. What can they do? Can they do anything to prevent the side effects of, of reduced estrogen levels? That is really, really tough. Unfortunately, it's not an area of expertise of mine. So I'm not a good okay. person to ask for that. And especially because depending on your oncologist or whoever is managing your estrogen blocker, some of them are okay with things like adrenal support, adaptogens, you know, B vitamins, vitamin C, which are all very healthy for the adrenals. And so when women are on estrogen blockers, if their oncologist is okay with it, I will support their thyroid. I will support their adrenals. Obviously, we're doing really good things for sleep and for diet. Mm-hmm. Other oncologists do not agree. They don't want their, their patient on anything adapt, you know, any herb, any, you know, vitamin, any nothing, not until um, they're further away from, um, you know, breast cancer, which is understandable. So in that case, again, we're looking at more just, um, you know, from a vitamin level, um, dietary sleep, you know, stress reduction, that kind of stuff. So it can, it can be frustrating 
uh, depending on on the oncologist. And then, of course, you have to be careful. I, uh, you know, women will say, "Well, can I take progesterone? Can I take mm-hmm. DHEA?" I'm like, "Ooh, those are hormones." <laughs> yeah. And I even bioidentical. They're still hormones. They mm-hmm. still do things. Probably not. Okay. Now you mentioned something that I want to go back to because I, I'm not sure if if uh, I pulled this out and made it clear. So when a woman when a woman uh, finishes her um, her period, so when she's going into yeah. menopause, so until that point, most of the estrogen is coming from the ovaries. Yes. At the time where the ovaries are shut down, um, they're out of commission, the adrenals pick up some of the slack, correct? Uh, the estrogen, actually, it comes from aromatization out of your fat tissue. So okay. you, in your fat, in women, in your fat tissue, you carry that enzyme aromatase there as well. And you will take your testosterone and you will aromatize it into something called estrone, which is E1. And then E1 can convert into E2. E2 is the most potent estrogen. So the majority of menopausal women are actually making their estrogen in their fat tissue, which is why many women going into menopause gain weight and they didn't change anything. It's a very frustrating, very irritating thing that women have. And when I am in charge of the female body, I will change that. But um, it's what we suspect is it's more of a built-in sort of survival mechanism because uh, women can always make estrogen out of fat tissue. So to preserve your bone, to preserve your brain, to preserve all these things, the body does it for you. Uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, the majority of women don't need excess estrogen. We already have an overweight and obesity issue um, across the world. And we also have this environmental toxicant issue where a lot of these chemicals act like estro- estrogen in the body and are already stimulatory to the receptors above and beyond what we already have. And so women will say to me, I've put on all this extra weight at 40, 45, 50. What is this for? Why? What happened? I was like, ooh, right. It's your body can make estrogen out of it. So is, menopausal women, that's where you make it from. Is it necessarily a bad thing? So for a woman going in to her menopausal uh, period of life, uh, who is a, at a good weight, is it a protective, healthy thing to add a bit of weight? Or should that weight never change? It is a protective, healthy thing if she is, you know, probably at a good weight or underweight if she gains a little bit of weight. If she's already overweight or even in the obese category, the body doesn't register that. The body okay. doesn't register like, you're oh, oh, you're already in the overweight category um, we're not going to put excess weight on it. Unfortunately, our bodies are smart, but it hasn't evolved to figure that part out yet. So okay. we gain this extra weight on top of it. Now, the other contributory factor, of course, is a lot of women as they head into menopause. Um, obviously, not all, but a lot. It's it's a it's a stressful time because I describe sort of perimenopause or menopause is reverse puberty. So it's, it's a, you know, we all remember what puberty is like. I mean, that was lovely. And so now you're headed the other way. And on top of it, usually this is the time in women's lives where kids are going off to college or, um, you know, divorces are happening, deaths are happening, moves are happening, big changes are happening. So stress is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. You're higher in your career if you're in a career. You're, um, um, you know, dealing with like your parents, you know, your parents are getting older, maybe you have to take care of them, they're going, considering going into homes, or somebody has, un, you know, unfortunately died. And so our stress is a lot higher, our exercise goes down, our blood sugar and insulin balance gets worse. And we're losing estrogen and progesterone on top of it. 
And so it just becomes this unfortunate perfect storm, which Mm -hmm. is why a lot of women struggle in perimenopause and menopause because it all hits at once. Be great to be able to educate women long before they come into this cycle to to know what to expect and to try and prep yes. themselves. But uh, that's just not the way of the world, unfortunately. But uh, I know. can always I try. Know. Now, yeah. I would I would be remiss because this is um, my 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 baby, gut health. Um, you wrote an article and you talked about the astrobolome and the effect that um, the balance in the gut of of good and bad bacteria, for for lack of a better word, um, Mm -hmm. dysbiosis can have on detoxification of estrogen. So I know we're, you know, the last time we talked, Dr. Carey, we had so much, I had so much that I wanted to get out and we ran up (laughs) against the clock. And this is a big topic, I understand. But this, this conjugation and the detoxification pathway, and that can all be just Jim Dandy. And then once we hit the gut, things can happen there as well. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, absolutely. The estrobolome is probably one of my most favorite words. It's just fun to say, estrobolome. <laughs> yeah. Which so it's an it's a it's a group of bacteria in your intestines and their responsibility is to make an enzyme called beta glucuronidase. And it's a helpful enzyme. It helps you reabsorb things like you know, it like large carbohydrates and flavonoids from your food and your bilirubin. Um, but what it can also do is it can re- it releases estrogen that you've tied up to be excreted. So my analogy is if you've, if you've gone through detox, you've gone through phase one, you've gone through phase two, your estrogen is in a box with a, with a lid on it, with a bow, and now you're in the intestines and you're about to be pooped out. And if your estrobolome is unbalanced and you have dysbiosis and you make way too much of that enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, it will untie the bow and take off the lid and let estrogen float free. And now your estrogen gets reabsorbed back into your circulation to cause more issues. So a little reabsorption is normal because it's what the enzyme does, but excessive amounts is where you now get back into estrogen dominance. And it can have nothing to do with your liver and everything to do with your gut. Okay, so that being said again, this, is, this will be something new to a lot of people. A lot of this will be new. But I right. think some people will be uh, a little bit more versed on the detoxification of estrogen through the liver and those pathways. But the estrobolome and beta-glucuronidase, how can we try and ensure a healthy balance um, in the gut for that? And again, is there a test? You know, you can yeah. go through all the yeah. other testing and everything looks okay and still there are issues. Is there a test for beta-glucuronidation? There is. It's a stool test. So many companies that are in that are uh, doing stool testing. So a lot, a lot of the sort of that functional holistic company um, can look at the enzyme beta glucuronidase. Now again, you don't want it zero, but when it's above range, when it's excessive, that's when you can get into estrogen problems. Okay. All right. So, and other problems. It can because yeah. it it'll it um, opens the lid on other hormones like DHEA. You know, and now you have excessive DHEA. So think back to like your PCOS woman or somebody within a lot of DHEA in, in, their, in their blood work. So we've, we've opened up the Pandora's box here. We've given people <laughs> a lot of things to think about, but some very effective pathways to go down. So if someone, um, Dr. Carey, as we have to wrap up here, if someone wants to start considering um, whether or not they have estrogen dominance or for someone who has estrogen dominance and wants to take first steps, what can you say 
to them to start on that pathway of trying to be in good estrogen health? Absolutely. So whether you test or not, there's always stuff you can do. Obviously, diet is a big one. So the the foods that are known as brassica family, so your broccoli, your kale, your cauliflower, your, your mustard greens, your broccoli sprouts, those are all super healthy at helping you clear out your, your estrogen in, in your phase, uh, phase one detoxification. There's some really good supplements, things like magnesium can be really helpful. Um, there's another one, methane, which comes from, the, again, the broccoli, the kale, the cauliflower family that can be really helpful. You know, avoiding chemicals, well, not avoiding, well, doing the best to minimize chemicals. Be careful of plastics. You try to filter your water. Try to, you know, use glass, use ceramic, use stainless steel. Um, Be careful of what you put on your body, your skin, what you use to clean your house with. All those chemicals act like estrogen. And if you're already estrogen dominant, don't make it worse, right? Don't don't use Mm -hmm. these chemicals to make it worse. And then doing things like, um, pre and probiotics. So everyone knows probiotics, the, the good gut bugs and like fermented yogurt and fermented foods, kimchi, uh, things like that. But prebiotics, people may not quite know about yet, but prebiotics are the, are the things in like chicory root and potato starch and asparagus and leeks and raw onions. And they actually are the food. They, they feed your, your good but gut, uh, gut bacteria to, to do healthy things. And so, um, in fact, there's like a whole industry now known as resistant starches, mm-hmm. which is um, like raw potato starch uh, that you can get organic and non-GMO'd. And that can be really helpful for people with gut issues to help feed your good guys so that they can do good things for your things like your estrobilome. Um, so there's definitely a lot of proactive stuff that men and women can start to do um, to clean up to affect their estrogen. Perfect. Yeah, a lot of first steps and people can walk away with this and start right now. But as Dr. Carey said, many ways to try and address issues if you feel that this is something you need to you need to address more thoroughly. Um, another great show. Thank you, Dr. Carey. I want to give people your website and ways to communicate with you. Um, Dr. Jones has fantastic information on Instagram and her Instagram handle is at Dr. With a period, Carrie Jones. Her Twitter is at uh, Dr. Dutch Test. And the website, can people reach you on the Dutch Test website? They can, DutchTest.com. Yep. And everything I've done on there, all our videos and webinars, podcasts um, are on there for free. Perfect. It really is a wealth, a wealth, wealth, wealth of information. So do, do follow her. Uh, wonderful guest, Carrie, and wonderful to have you and all the information on the show. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I hope to do it again. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on the Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.